My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, the topic today is hacks. We're going to give you some great hacks, but I'm also going to look at, with my guest, how you avoid being an over-optimizer, because if you love the hacks, you might end up on the wrong side of that equation. And my guest to talk about that is Chris Hutchins. He's an avid life hacker and financial optimizer, and he is the host of a show, a podcast called All the Hacks that I'm on right now, so you can go check that out. And he also appeared in a documentary all about financial independence called Playing With Fire. Now, when he's not doing all this stuff, he's the director of product at Wealthfront, where he focuses on making products to help people build wealth through investing. And he joined that company after his startup Grove was acquired by them in 2016. Now, previously, he was an investor at Google Ventures, so this guy has a very impressive resume. Now, on this episode, you're going to learn a couple of things. Well, more than a couple, but you're going to learn how Chris got into this. How does somebody become a life hacker? And how has he saved people across the world millions of dollars by breaking down every aspect of life and helping them to maximize happiness at the lowest cost? You're also going to get some hacks. I would not let you leave without good hacks. We're going to focus on travel and money. And we're also going to get into the line between optimization and then over-optimization and how you figure that out, which is something that Chris struggles with. And we talk about that on the episode. Now, Before we get to the interview, I do have my small ask of the week. And my ask is this, send me ideas for guests. Some of you do. You send me a DM on Instagram. You can get me at Patrick J. McGinnis. You send me a tweet at PJ McGinnis. You email me at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com. And when you do, guess what happens? Sometimes we have those people on the show. And so I love hearing what kind of guests you think would be great for the show. Always excited about that. So I appreciate it in advance if you would do that for me. All right. And now onto the interview. As you know, I like to go deep early, get into the substance, figure out how a guy like Chris thinks. And so I asked our interview by asking him my very favorite question. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today? Yeah, I started my career in New York working in finance and management consulting. And I went to an event uh, called Startup Weekend where I first experienced a taste of the fact that people build companies on the internet. And as soon as I had finished that event, I was like, this is a thing I want to do. And I went to my manager and said, can I transfer to the San Francisco office? Because if you ask anyone, uh, which I didn't know at the time, where do people do this thing for a living? The answer is in Silicon Valley. And so I asked to be transferred to the San Francisco office. They kindly obliged and a month later laid me off. (laughs) I'm going to push back on that a little bit, which is that we do that in New York, too. More now than we did used to, I think. So I, I get your point. But so you okay? So you 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 decide to go to San Francisco. You get laid off. Okay. So how does that lead you to start two companies? You know, raise millions of dollars. Like where where what's the next step in the story? That because that sounds scary. And probably you're thinking like I can only imagine that phone call to your you know people in your life. 
Like yeah. I just got laid off. That's 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 not good. No. So, and, and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I was like, we got to go to San Francisco. It's going to be awesome. And my company's going to you know, take care of us. It's going to be great. And fortunately she ended up finding a job before they laid me off, which was nice. Um, it was the kind of financial crisis of 2008. So it was kind of, you know, the, the du jour activity was to get laid off. And I actually ended up starting a conference called laid off camp. And we did 20 events around the country. And that was really a, kind of testing ground to get out in the community, meet people. Uh, all the companies that were hiring were tech companies. So they were all the sponsors of the event. And that gave me a real, really good opportunity to meet people uh, and kind of like start to build a network out here. And so that ultimately led me to meeting, you know, a bunch of people that I'd work for. I'd met other investors, met other founders, and that network just grew and grew and grew into everything I've done since then. So, I want to pause there because you just, what, what you said is kind of remarkable. What you did is you made lemonade out of lemons. You said like, I just got fired rather than feel embarrassed or insecure about it. I'm going to like own that. Right. And I'm going to turn it into a strength and I'm going to use it to build new opportunities. And it kind of reminds me of when I first started angel investing I um I was like I'm not I was like I don't have that much money. It's not like I'm like running around with, you know, a trust fund. I can't invest big numbers. But I didn't allow myself to feel embarrassed about it. I was honest about it and I would just invest what I could. And so at the end of the day, I think it's like ended up being kind of much more real because I wasn't trying to fool anybody. I wasn't worried about what people thought. And it opened doors to me to be able to do what I want to do without having to, you know, write a hundred thousand dollar checks, which didn't make it's not going to happen, right? And so, I think that's a that's a very pretty powerful superpower. Now, you also have moved on and become this master of the hacks, and that's what your podcast, all the hacks, is about. So, I kind of want to focus on that today because um, for those of you listening, I just we're going to drop this week as well. I'm going on Chris's show, All the Hacks. We talk about oh, all kinds of good stuff over there. But this is the space where we get Chris to tell us all his secrets so that we can mine his brain and live better lives, more profitable lives. So how does one become, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a it's a quite a like, um, you gotta feel pretty confident to, to, to feel comfortable telling people all your hacks and believe that they're of value to people. How did you get into that line of work? Yeah, I mean, I've always struggled with the concept you talk about of FOBO and and wanting the best thing. And so I've tried to find different ways to get the best outcome. Uh, and this goes back far, far, far before, you know, starting a podcast, which only happened, you know, a few months ago. I was always trying to find a way to get the best experience for the lowest price because in college I didn't have a lot of money. And in high school, uh, all the kids I went to high school with had more money than I did. And so it was trying to find different things, whether it was I, I went to boarding school and I bought I'd like order Domino's pizza and I would sell the sli I'd sell like seven slices and I'd eat one. So I'd like for every seven slices, I could eat free pizza. Um, so that was kind of like always what I did. In fact, this first job I took out of graduation, the company offered me a job and said, but we can't have you start for seven months. And so I just took two jobs and I was like, I took one. And then I was like, if I don't like it, I've got this option seven months later where I could just quit and take the other job. So I've always had this kind of optimizing personality. 
And I've applied that to a desire to travel, to eat, uh, to have amazing experiences. And the result is a bunch of different hacks that make that possible. And they span money and uh, travel and work and, and kind of every aspect of life. At one point, did you realize like you're I guess I'm different. I'm you know, I'm kind of like a hack generator. Like how far into this did you did that come up for you? I'm not quite sure when that clicked. I think probably sometime in the last definitely sometime since graduation uh, and being in the professional world, people would just start asking questions. They'd be like, oh, you took that vacation for free. How did that work? Uh, Oh, you, uh, you know, you leveraged this crazy opportunity. How did that happen? And I would just start sharing them. And I kind of realized uh, at dinners, people would be asking me all these questions. And I was like, wow, people are really interested in this topic. And someone was like, oh, you should start a blog. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, so I start a blog. I write a blog post. And I realized that writing was just not my format. And so I think I've started, I just actually found uh, like an old blog that still exists on the internet that I shall not link to that I started, you know, 10 years ago, never went anywhere, started another blog and, you know, wrote a couple posts. It just never worked. And then a friend of mine one time was said, you got to start a podcast. And I was like, okay. He's like, and I'm going to announce your podcast this week. So you have a couple days to get back to me about what it's called and what's going on because I'm going to announce it. And that's, you know, free marketing. So you should really take advantage of it. And that's how the whole show got started was that a friend of mine, Kevin Rose, pushed me to start it that week when we went on his podcast. And so I finally feel like I found the right medium. And it makes sense. And I probably should have known it all along. But it's the medium that most mirrors my natural kind of hack sharing environment, which is like sitting down at dinner with friends uh, and, and talking about different things I've done. And now I just do that with a microphone and the internet. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. I can't believe you know Kevin Rose. I love Oak, his meditation app. I'm like obsessed with it. So now I'm feeling FOMO that you know him. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hit you up on that one a little later. But again, you, it's interesting. You, you're sort of like always taking your kind of life experience and then turning into value for other people, which is great. I mean, that's research is me search, right? So let's talk about some of the the really powerful, I mean, I think if we can give everybody today three powerful things that you recommend people do, I mean, I know you focus a lot on financial kind of hacks. Let's get started with, with a travel one, then we'll do a financial one, and then we'll do a life one. So give us a good travel hack. Yeah, I mean, 
I'll, I'll give a really micro one just so kind of people get a sense of, of the micro and the macro size of hacks. So on the travel front, the, the macro obviously would be, you know, getting collecting points and using credit cards to acquire massive amounts of points and taking free vacations and traveling around the world for free. There's no shortage of content around this. Uh, if you want, you can check out uh, a couple episodes of all the hacks, number one and number two, or, or number one and number three are about that. I just did a listener Q&A to dive into a few more, which was episode 20. So credit card rewards are, are the ultimate travel hack. But I always like to give a little glimpse of the kind of hacks that we talk about on the show that are really micro and kind of maybe don't apply to every situation. But one of my favorites was if you're ever trying to book uh, like a house or a villa, you know, if you're doing it in in the States, you know, you can use Airbnb or VRBO, which I guess I've recently learned in advertising that it's supposed to be Verbo, but I just can't, I can't no way. get behind that. That's yeah. a hack right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if you take the image that is the primary image for a house or a villa that you're trying to rent, and then you go to a Google image search for it, it turns out that in a lot of other countries, it's not all Airbnb and VRBO. There might be 20 different sites where you could rent villas. And a lot of times, the other ones have much better commission structures. And so you end up getting a much better price. And so I've multiple times now taken an image of a house we are going to rent that isn't in the U.S. and searched for it online and found a better price somewhere else. And so that's just like a little subtle hack. Gosh, I feel like I feel like you said three, but I'll, I'll throw one more out in travel, which is always emailing the hotel, book direct with the hotel and always email them to let them know you're coming. And we've had so many listeners write in who've used this trick to get upgraded, to get a uh, one hour early pass to Disney World, to get a free bottle of wine. It turns out that hotels want to build a relationship with people that stay with at their hotel. And if you book on kayak, they don't get the chance to do that until after you're there. And they kind of have a feeling that, you know, you're not someone who wants to build a relationship with them. But if you book direct, email the hotel, and you can usually, if you can't find their email address, call the hotel and ask and just say, hey, I'm, I'm coming to your hotel. I'm really excited to stay with you guys. This is why I'm coming. Uh, you know, really excited. And if there's anything that you need to know from me, let me know. And you just kind of nice, friendly thing. And we've seen so many people get get benefit from doing that and across the board it's probably the number one you know kind of listener hack result we've seen is is this particular hack let me ask you a question about that that's a, i never thought of that that's actually like pretty awesome now <laughs> i have two questions number one is um do you find that it's helpful to just ask for something even if you don't really need it just to kind of show that you you know, to sort of start the, because I feel like it's weird to be like, hey, hotel, I'm going to be dropping by. How are you? But if you said like, I might be needing the room slightly earlier, would that be a possibility? You sort of start the conversation where they, you're sort of creating a relationship where they, they're looking to please you. Have you ever thought about the psychology of that? Yeah. I, I mean, I always tell them if there's something, oh, we're coming for our anniversary or the, you know, we haven't traveled for a long time. It's, you know, our first trip or when we went to Greece a month ago, we sent an email to these hotels and said, hey, you know, we just had a daughter and this is our first trip without a child. And, you know, when we got there, they were, you know, there were, we got upgraded one, we got a bottle of wine in one. And so I definitely make some sort of subtle ask. Mm -hmm. I also recommend, and, and in, in episode one of All the Hacks, which is all about travel hacks, um, we, we, Lee, the guest I had, recommended also following up a couple days before. 
So if you want to make an ask, you don't always have to make it in the first email. You know, make book the hotel, make an email, follow up. You know, three or, three or four days before you arrive, or two or three days, and that is a great time to say, hey, actually, you know, our flight's going to get in a little early. If there's any chance the room's ready early, we'd love to check in a few hours early. I would be totally surprised unless the hotel was completely sold out if they wouldn't block off a room for you. That's amazing. Okay, I have another question related to that one, which is this. Have you ever experimented with, for example, writing from like a, you know, say sort of a third email address and saying like, dear, you know, to whom may concern, my name is Bentley J. Susserton. I am the chief of staff to Chris Hutchins and I'm his head butler and I, he's delighted to be staying with you. And I just wanted to let you know that, you know, he's a wonderful person and, you know, sort of like really inflating your personality and giving you the, the sort of social proof that would come with that. I'd be curious to see what kind of outcome that might lead to. Any thoughts? No, but uh, one thing Lee did, uh, Lee Rowan is a travel advisor and runs a travel company. And when we were going on a trip once, he emailed the hotel and said, hey, my, one of our VIPs is like Lee was just, you know, being a generous man and and sent an email like what you're saying. It wasn't I'm I'm this person's chief of staff. It was, you know, this is a great person. He, you know, he's really influential in Silicon Valley, just like gushing about me. Um, and but it turned out the hotel was like totally overbooked. And so I think we got, you know, a better room in the hotel, but there wasn't mm -hmm. much else, you know, in terms of upgrades that they could do. But they definitely did everything they could and, you know, dropped off, you know, some amenity of, uh, I think it was like, you know, fruit and wine or cheese and wine. I can't remember. That's super interesting. There was a, a startup that a friend of mine worked for that failed, unfortunately. But the whole concept was that you would give them your social media accounts and then they would price based on your level of influence. Like, I guess the more influential you were, the better deal you got, which just sounds a little crazy. But um, but it is what you've said about hotels, which is so true, especially now, is that you know, because they've been disintermediated by all of these booking engines, they don't even know how their clients are. Right. And so that's like a lot of times when you use Expedia, like a hotel won't even give you points. And so doing what you're doing, which is a slight bit more work, but has a clear benefit is, is super smart. Okay. So that's a great one. As we get back into the hotels, give us a financial hack. Financial. I mean, so this there, this is a broad uh, uh, space, right? You could think about investing. We've done episodes about investing. Uh, I'll pick shopping, right? You know, we're we got the holidays coming up around the corner, and everybody likes to save a little money. One, two, I'll give you two. One of them you might not like because you're an author, uh, uh, <laughs> but this, but this is a personal shopping one. There's an uh, uh, Chrome extension called li Library Extension, and if you are install Chrome extension, anytime you're looking at a book online. Uh, you will, it'll pop up and say, hey, you know, you could just check this book out from your library. You don't have to buy it. And, and a lot of them are digital. So it's like, if you're an ebook reader, half the books that I think about going to buy, it's like, hey, here's the book for free at the library. I'd be very curious to see what you as an author, you know, feel about me using the library instead of buying the book. I'll but, tell you what I think about that. I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, listen, one thing you learn when you write a book is like, the the money to be made on the book and this is my experience maybe if you're you you know you're you're JK Rowling it's different my experience has been the more interesting financial aspects are coming for in right sales because you get paid up front book sales you know they the reality is that like 
it's really hard to make a ton of money off a book unless it becomes like a crazy runaway bestseller. And so, you know, it, it the book creates all these other opportunities and speaking and, you know, you sell the audio rights and all that sort of stuff. And so you create an annuity stream for yourself that lasts for years. It's insane. Like we just sold, resold the Spanish rights for my first book five years on. So that's great. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, I only, like the real joy is just knowing that people are getting value out of the content. And so if you don't want to buy the book and you want to borrow it or you want to buy it at a thrift store secondhand or you want to, you know, go to the library, like go do that and and know that I think it's great and I'm totally okay with it. That's awesome. So you can use library extension and, and find books uh, that you can get for free from the library. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of common shopping hacks. Like if you're not using a cashback portal like Rakuten or if you're not using, you know, Honey or another browser extension to find promo codes, those are great. The next level of that, which I've recently started doing, and I just tried it once, was if a e-commerce site has a live chat, just live chat and ask them for a discount. And it seems so silly, but I've tried it, and I say about 50% success rate. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. But I'll, I'll say, hey, I, I'm thinking about checking out. I really like this product. It's a little expensive. And you know, are there any deals going on right now? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, here's the 20% off coupon that you can use right now. Just check out. That is uh, so smart. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, you can also buy coupons uh, on Craigslist sometimes. Um, there's a site, I think it's called Search Tempest, where you can search like all of Craigslist. So I definitely, we wanted some patio furniture, and I bought a Home Depot coupon uh, on Craigslist and was able to get 20% off. And yeah, I'm sure if I like checked the paper, went and got one of those USPS moving guides, uh, anytime you tell the USPS you're moving, they send you like a bunch of coupons and now they're all digital, which is cool. So if you need anything from like, you know, West Elm or the kind of stores that you buy things from when you move, like Lowe's and that kind of stuff, anytime you you pay the 99 cent to change your address, uh, you get a, a batch of coupons. FOMO. I do wonder if you ever see like the ethical lines of hacks, right? Because, you know, I gave that example of like making up a chief of staff like that is, you know, it's not hurting anybody, but it is not truthful. Like, how do you think about the line between what's an appropriate and ethical hack and versus things that one should not do? So I really struggle with the truth. And maybe this is going to a boarding school that had an honor code and I just don't like lying. Mm -hmm. um, even like silly things that don't matter, I sometimes struggle with. Um, it's like, oh, we can't go. These people invited us over for dinner. Let's tell them we have plans. And I'm like, but we don't have plans. And, I, and I'm also very transparent. So I'm like, why don't we just tell them we don't want to come over to their house? And my, you know, my wife's like, well, that's rude. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to lie. Mm -hmm. So I struggle with that. So I, I usually won't do the... Hey, I'm. I have ten thousand social media followers. Uh, you know, you should give me this upgrade. I can't do that. So for me, all the hacks uh, that I use that I share are are ones where I might exploit a system. Right? If if Chase is going to offer a huge sign up bonus to get me to sign up for the card, and they were going to require these rules in order for me to get the bonus, great. I'll just follow them all. I know that Chase's goal is that I spend a lot of money on this card outside of the bonus categories. I use it for 10 years. Maybe I carry a balance and pay interest. But, you know, I'm staying within the rules of what they said. I'm not I'm not lying about anything and not trying to, you know, get something for free that, you know, isn't available for free. Yeah, the normalization of bad behavior is super dangerous. I just you, we all know that person who was a little shady when you're growing up and they just always cut corners or 
did things that weren't, you know, maybe like they weren't charged for the shirt and they didn't tell the the store and they were like, oh, I got that for free, those kinds of things. And then those are the people who end up getting in trouble later in life because when you you start to think that you can skirt the rules and um, in the little things, it can penetrate into the big things as well. So I think that's a really good, a really good line. At the end of the day, like, it's just not a good way to live your life. Now, I am curious, you know, so you're an optimizer and you said, you know, the FOBO is a thing for you. And I get it. FOBO is, I mean, we live in a world of overwhelming options. You go on Amazon to buy white shoelaces. There's like a thousand to choose from. They're kind of all the same. And, you know, you're, you're a successful person. You have options. You, you, you are able to do lots of things. And so I wonder, you know, does like your, your wife or people around you ever just say to you like enough already? Do people find that the, the optimization gets to a point where it's crippling or do you feel that way? Like, how do you draw that line between constructive optimization and just like completely par- paralyzing yourself and wasting your precious time and energy and stuff that doesn't really matter? I wish I knew where to draw the line. Uh, I think my wife, I've probably brought her down the rabbit hole more than she's going to pulled me out of it. And we're slowly now working together to bring ourselves out of it. So a great example was we have a one-year-old and when we wanted to transition her to solid foods, uh, my wife was like, you know, we need to figure out what to cook. And, you know, you you come up with these different ideas of what you'd make your child. And we weren't just going to buy baby food. And so my wife's researching all these options, all these options. And then she goes, well, I found this website and they have a hundred days of menus for kids that are just completely designed for this. But it's like 50 bucks. And she was like, I think I could just find all these if I just keep searching. And we were we both I was like, I had to play the reverse role that she's played so many times, which was. I think we just pay the $50. Like mm-hmm. we could spend three hours a day going down, building out a week of menus. This is a waste of time. Someone's done all the research. Let's just do it. Uh, but I think we both, our instinct without the other is to just go and try to find the cheapest way to do it and value our time at nothing. And I think that's the real source of challenge that I've learned to get better at, but not completely, is all of the optimizations that, they just don't value your time if you spend too much time thinking through it. And it's really hard to value your time. Uh, uh, A friend of mine, Paula Pant, who has a a great podcast called Afford Anything, calls it fake frugality. It's like you're not actually being frugal if you're doing all of these crazy things and and using hours and hours of your time to save a few dollars. Uh, You can pretend you are, and it feels good that you saved a dollar here and there, but if you spent four hours doing it, like, what does that even matter? And so... I always thought about it as, well, my time isn't worth something for this next hour because I wouldn't otherwise do anything. So it took me down this rabbit hole of let's use it to optimize. The thing that actually flipped the switch for me. So my wife worked at Lyft for 10 years. And for fun, uh, I signed up to be a Lyft driver. And I was like, you know, I don't need to be a Lyft driver. I have a job. But, you know, you've been working at this company for a while. Like, let's go be a Lyft driver for, for a week. And so I did that. And then it just convinced me that at any point in time, I could walk out the door, get in the car, and I could make 15 or 20 bucks an hour. So I now could not tell myself that if I spend an hour doing this, I, I have no value to that hour, right? Most of us, if you have a salaried job, if you have a free hour, it's not like you could just make more money. 
But that one moment made me realize, okay, now any moment I could go drive for Lyft for a half hour, hour, and I could make a certain amount of money. So my time is now valuable. And the dis- now I almost never did, but I at least mentally now felt that every hour I wasted trying to research hotels had a cost. And if I spent seven hours trying to pick the best hotel in Paris, you know, I could have been making a hundred or two hundred dollars driving around for Lyft. And now all of a sudden, that's like the the cost of the hotel. So that would have been a total waste. So that really helped me get over it. Was was finding something that made it possible to value my time. Yeah, I mean, we talked about when I am on your show this week. We were talking about high stakes, low stakes, no stakes decisions. This is a low stakes decision. Not that your baby's health isn't number one in your mind. It's not. But like it, it, it would be very difficult for you to mess that up if you were following some sort of basic guide and you outsourced it to, you know, you had to pay for the outsourcing, but you outsourced that decision. You saved yourself a lot of time and, you know, it ended up being the right thing to do. Now, Chris, you are definitely a FOMO sapiens. That's why you're here. But you are still human and humans can feel FOMO. So, you know, what do you struggle with? What, you know, as you think about how you live your life, what, what is the, what's the FOMO that holds you back? Yeah, I mean, I, we, I've used this hotel example because we just took a trip to Greece and I remember making literally a spreadsheet of the hotels we could stay at. And then my wife and I were like, well, what, what's the TripAdvisor score on them? How much are they each? And we went through this long decision and it was the first time ever that I thought, oh man, and and this maybe is more FOBO, but I, I think that the the source of it was that we wanted to have the best possible experience, right? We did not want to stay at a hotel and then regret having stayed there because there were all these other options. Uh, so every time we go on a trip, I struggle with that, you know, to the nth degree. I, I honestly, it's the first time I ever thought about hiring a travel agent because I thought, man, any one of these are fine if someone else could just pick. And And then I realized like I think I've heard you said say before, uh, I could just ask a friend to pick. I could just say, hey, here's three great hotels. Can you just pick one for me, I'll please? pick for you. Uh, just you yeah. let me know. I'll do it. And I won't like just pick, pick the first one. I'll think about it for you and I will choose because I want you to be happy, but I'm also, you know, I'm decisive. Yeah. So, and, and it's funny. I'm decisive with other people. Yeah, so, exactly right. You know, it, That's why outsourcing it, works. It, it's something weird. My sister asked, you know, what monitor should I get? Computer monitor. I was like, so funny in five minutes i could tell you which computer monitor to get but if i had to pick my computer monitor i might spend three hours doing research so that's yeah. one you know i live in silicon valley and every week there's another person who started a company and raised more money or sold their company uh or a venture capitalist that made a you know investment that did so well and you know sometimes you just see in the news sometimes it's friends of yours and you know i'm human and as much as I love seeing my friends' successes, it's you know it's sometimes hard when you're like, wow, this friend of mine, I know they worked hard, they totally deserve it, but you know they just made ten million dollars, and that's really cool for them. But you know what am I doing wrong? Why didn't I make ten million dollars yesterday? Uh, you know, am I not good enough? Should I have taken a job at that other company? And so that happens all the time out here, and it's it's it. I've heard you talk about how FOMO can be powerful, right? It pushes you to do harder do push yourself. And it definitely, I've seen that, I, you know, I attribute a ton of the successes I've had to the fact that I'm watching people be successful all the time, but man, there is a lot of FOMO when other people's companies do really well. And, you know, my last startup, uh, you know, we, we, we found a, a home for it, but the, the core idea didn't work. It is. It's so you're, I guess the takeaway here is you are a FOMO sapiens for sure. You are also a FOBO sapiens. Um, but 
you have all the hacks. Now, if you want to check out Chris's work, you can find him on Instagram at Chris Hutchins and his website is allthehacks.com and the podcast, of course, which you should check out because we have a great conversation on it is all the hacks. Chris Hutchins, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.